Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. Just a time where we want to speak about the words and works of Jesus. Um, and I say this often, every scripture, Old or New Testament, points and speaks on Christ. What we are doing in the next while is we're literally taking the words of Jesus, talking about it and asking the Spirit to awaken our hearts to this amazing Savior that we serve. Um, in this, you can call it sermon series, we had part three, we're going to go up to part eight. Um, and no guarantee that we will not continue <laughs> with what Jesus said after that, but at least if you want to invite someone, we're doing the words and works of Jesus. And uh, we're doing popcorn services, so we're not literally building the one on the other, so someone can come at part seven and feel welcome and feel like they know what's going on. That's what's happening at this moment. Okay, just a few things before we go. Sometimes we need terms and a certain way to express things so that we can have a conversation. One way of doing that is to sometimes use hyperboles to show two opposite uh, sides of a spectrum. So tonight we're going to do that. Tonight the word Pharisee, say Pharisee, does not have a good connotation because in this context of scripture, the Pharisees has got something wrong. So tonight, when, when I say the Pharisee, what you can say is um, the, one, think the one who got it wrong, okay? doesn't mean every Pharisee in the history of the world, no one knew Jesus, but in this context, it's true, okay? Got, got it? So the opposite of the Pharisee is we're going to talk about the disciple, does not mean that every disciple at every moment was 100% without sin. No, a lot of them sinned greatly. But we're talking about the heart of the disciple and we're going to put it against the heart of a Pharisee. Can you see that? And then say righteousness. That's a great word. Okay. But for tonight, what it just means is an outflow of faith. Say outflow of faith. Okay, so we're going to see a scripture where Jesus says, your righteousness should exceed those of the Pharisees. So what you can think is your outflow of faith should exceed those of the Pharisees. Okay, so that when I say these things over and over that you don't know where you are. Everyone with me? Great. Part three. It is part three, eh? for a moment so <laughs> so i don't plan this but at the end we've got three points again sorry it's, it's not a rule by which i live i just i'm just building your capacity one day when we go to four points then you know that i believe you've grown okay so uh, i'm just so we're gonna go to a portion of scripture we're going to read it verse by verse together it's going to be on the screen you can also read in your bible go to matthew 5 17 if you want to and uh, then what we're going to do is we're going to go through it again dissect it all right teach you to work with the word a bit and then we're going to land on three points which the words and works of jesus has in store for us for tonight amen let's do it Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish or stop or end 
the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. It's not an easy part. We'll dissect it. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, just, just some context. On the one side, we've got Jesus, which, which looks like a faith revolutionary. It's like when he comes, everything is new and everything is different. And on the other side, you've got the Pharisees, which says, you know, the law of Moses. And it looks like Christ is opposing them always. But what he's saying is, listen, I'm, I'm not here to oppose the law these guys talk about. I'm here to fulfill it. So already you can see what they think the law is and what Christ thinks the law is must be two different things because they're in conflict with Christ, but he says he's here to fulfill the very same thing that they swear by, okay? I don't want to get too technical. We'll get back to that. Therefore, whoever relaxes or stop doing one of, one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribe and Pharisees, okay, Unless your outflow of faith or obedience or faith in action exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, in this context the hypocrites, you will never enter the kingdom of God. We carry on. You have heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder. What is that? Where do you find that? Exodus, right? Exodus, that, that is... Ten Commandment, that's the law. You have heard it said, you shall not murder. That's what Jesus says. He says, and whoever murders will be liable for judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. What is Jesus doing? He's saying, I agree with this law. You shall not murder. But he's pressing deeper into it. Can you see? He's not working against the law here. All right, let's carry on. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Okay, it's not nice words. Let's go on. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court. Lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the God and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Last one. You have heard it said... You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustful, with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, sorry, this is the last one. <laughs> if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Imagine that. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members 
than your whole body in hell. Okay, so massive stuff touched on here. We're going to, here's the thing, the Bible can look very complex, but once you get to the heart of it, it binds together a lot of things and you say, aha. Okay, cutting off your hand, I mean, can you hurry sakum to bent before I take off the trash because I can't. In any case, let me not go on that tangent. <laughs> a closer look. Okay, guys, don't leave me here. We're working to three points. We're going to stop and dissect it. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not a, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Okay. To give you a little bit of an understanding of what happened that, at that time is that at the gates of the city, there would be judges. Some, some manuscripts believe there was 26 judges. And what these guys would do is if there was a public sin, if someone wasn't sin, the town would drag the person to the judges. And then they would say, okay, hearing what happened here, um, you murdered someone, you should not do that. They would either be um, decapitated, okay, copy your off, or stunned, all right? And, uh, and so these men at the gates were the, were the men that decided what would happen. And so what Jesus is saying, and this is very interesting, is that you have heard it said to those of all that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, is, it is a saying in those towns, if you murder, you will be judged. By whom? The men sitting on the outside of a gate. But what Christ does here is very interesting. He says, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother, are we there? Uh, slide 10, please. But everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Okay, here's the thing. The judges on the outside of a town can only judge on something which actually happened. Are you with me? I mean, you cannot take someone to the judges and say, listen, this man had a thought of murder. And then he's like, I did not. But you can say, listen, this man, his eye eyewitnesses, we solved the case. He did murder a man. Can you see that? And over time, what the Pharisees has done is they've built their lives and their faith on outward appearances. And so as long as you do not murder someone, or as long as you're not literally a part of adultery, you look good, because no one can see the hidden sins. And so here comes Jesus, and he says, but listen, let me tell you what, those judges, they might not know about your anger, but I do. What is he doing? He's moving deeper into the heart. Now for the Pharisees, it was very easy to say, but I did not murder someone. But who can say, I've never been angry with someone? Look, if you only need a savior, if you kill someone, or if you are part of adultery, who needs a savior? But if you need a savior, 
or the anger in your heart even, and the adultery in your heart, who needs a savior? The masses. And so here the Pharisees are. Listen, we are the guys, you know what, we actually do. We don't sin a lot. But the bar that Jesus sets for them is so high that it actually points out that they are sinners as well. They don't like that. Okay, we're going somewhere with this. And so Jesus takes it further and he says, don't harbor anger in your heart. Is Jesus saying that to kill someone is the same as to be angry with someone? The only way in which this is the same is that they're both sins. What he is saying is that murder starts somewhere. And the start of murder, if murder was a tree, a very big tree, the seed of it would be what? Anger. They come from the same branch of plants. And so if you are wise and if you are a worshiper of God, you discover sin way before it's full grown. You know where this anger and frustration leads. Christ is taking us deeper. But look how smart he is. He says, he who is angry, he's in trouble. And then he goes on, he says, but I say to you, everyone who's angry will be liable for judgment. And then he goes on, whoever insults his brother, step one, we feel something in our hearts. Step two, out of the mouth. Interesting. Let me just go off the topic for a while. Who's, who's seen that show? I think it was on History Channel sometime where they train these men to be special forces. And they, they like bring 30 civilians and at the end there's like one, what's it, S-A-S-A-S, something like that, incredible. So they bring these men and they put them through the harshest mental and physical training possible, looking for one that can enter the special services. They'll have like a test. They'll have all 20 running, and they'll say, we'll not. The contestants won't know it, but they say, we will not stop this fitness until five decides to give up. So it can go on for three or four days. And when five give up, then they'll stop it. But every time what we see is this. If someone says to a, a, a friend next to him or voices, I don't think I can do it, within a few minutes he's gone. The moment he starts to verbalize, I don't think I can do it, it's not long, then he goes. And there's a principle in that that we see here. The first part of sin, it's, it's in the heart. The second part is I speak it. And then the third one is it starts to happen. Now it's very interesting, these words, Jesus' choice of word, because that word, your fool, the second one, it's got a connotation which, which communicates you are not worthy to be loved. That, that, that's what it says. So now look at what Jesus is doing. This Pharisee is going to the temple, or I'm coming to church, I'm like, God, I want you to love me, Lord. But this person is a fool. This person here is not worthy to be loved. Lord, I want you to love me. Can you see the problem? And so Jesus pushes beyond the layers of murder and he goes into the heart. 
to where it starts. It's the spirit of the law. Okay? It's the heart of the Ten Commandments. I made so many notes here, I need to scroll down. And so the Pharisees come and they say, do not murder. And Jesus say, my son, go deeper into your heart and see what's there. You with me? We're going somewhere with this. So he goes on. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember, he's talking on the same thing here, okay? If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. This is very interesting. He's talking in Old Testament terms. You're coming with a gift that's bearing some value. So you go to the altar... And now you want to offer your gift and the Holy Spirit reminds you you've got an issue between a friend. What must you do with your gift? You must leave it there. Okay, why do you leave it there? Because if you take it with you, you maybe go home for a week and think about it. You leave that 10,000 rand there. You're going to lane mark. You're going to go and sort out what you need to sort out. You're going to come back and offer your gift to God. And so what Jesus is saying is, I want you to work with your heart when you come to worship me every time. So Jesus, he, he designed worship in such a way that you cannot break past a certain roof if there's unforgiveness in your heart. It's designed like that. You'll come here and you'll, you'll read little words and nothing will happen. And when you feel that, just open your heart and say, Lord, why does it feel to me that I cannot enter in? And he will show you. Forgive that person. Let them go. By forgiving them, you're not saying what they did was right. You're saying, God, I trust you to sort that out and see what happens to worship afterwards. You see, in the Old Testament times, there were certain cases where a lamb was offered as a sacrifice. What was the condition of that lamb? It was a beautiful lamb. Spotless. Okay? There was the one that was with three Okay? It was the best one. You take it and say, God, I'm giving you this lamb for the blessing that will rest on the others to come. Spotless lamb. Do we still offer stuff? No. What do we bring? We're bringing our hearts. Okay? We are the sacrifice. Now you bring the heart. Christ says there's something wrong with the gift. Something wrong with the lamb. There's anger in it towards that person. Before you offer it, bring it to me. Can you see it? And so if we obey him in this, we are a church or a community that grows in our hearts week by week as we worship him. Where did we start this? Do not murder. <laughs> Where is Christ taking us? Deep within our hearts. A community that's ever growing because our hearts are presented to him. Can you see that? All right. So, who of you have had a fight with your wife or a parent, or a friend, or a sibling, 
And then there was this, uh, you know, you know when the air is super thick? You know, it's like you hear yourself breathing. Who knows what I'm talking about? Like, it's like this massive elephant in the room and you're just like carrying on like nothing happened. But you know, but once you say, listen, can we talk about that? Can, you know, I think I hurt you there or I was really hurt. What happens afterwards? There's a sweet connection. You know what I'm talking about? There's this, oh, I, that, that's how friendship gets built. Offense, forgiveness, offense, forgiveness, offense, forgiveness. That's how you build a friendship. But naturally, we don't like that. When there's an elephant in the room, we run. But with Christ, we have no option. Because if we want him, he's always pushing us together. Forgive him. Say that you're sorry. And so he is the God that's constantly pushing us there where the elephant is. Because it's cleaning our hearts. And you are becoming more and more like Christ. Each time you worship him. What a low bar it is not to murder someone. Come on. He's calling us higher. Does that make sense? Okay, let's go on. And you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustful you can change her on. Or every woman that looks at a man lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a, that's a huge problem. That's a problem here. Is he saying that these two things are weighing the same when it comes to sin? No, he's not saying it. What is he saying? Again, he's saying the tree of adultery, where that ends up, it starts somewhere. There's a seed. And what is it? Last thought. I wonder, just listen to this, how innocent it starts. And you can get into great trouble. You need to open your heart. Don't be foolish. All right? I wonder if I married the right person. You start sitting on that thought. You in great trouble. Is God giving you that thought? You give that thing water, you are ending up against the wall. The lowest bar, the Pharisee says, do not commit adultery. Give your wife a letter of divorce first, then you can go. Christ says, no, 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 let's go deeper. Do you want to be married to a man like that who will not even allow a thought disrespect you that's the God we serve he creates men and women like that who serves him with the whole hearts he doesn't enter the part of speaking in there but you can you can fill in the blanks the first thing you do is you you think of this adulterous moment thing person the next thing you start to say it I don't think I love my wife anymore trouble you're in big trouble. You've gone too far. You need to repent on your knees. God gave you that woman. Amen? God gave you that man. Don't put your bar as low as the level of this world or the Pharisees. I didn't sleep with someone else. Junk, man. 
you are called to so much more. Right? And so Jesus, I mean, he's grabbing these guys. He's really in there with his hands. If you think I'm bringing it, I mean, he's, you know. And so here's the thing. Jesus comes into the temple. And there's always Pharisees and there's always disciples. Okay, now I'm using those hyperboles. And he comes in and he's saying, I am here to forgive anyone of their sins of murder or adultery. I'm here to forgive sins. And he comes in, let's be on this topic of adultery. And he comes in and there's the Pharisees and they say, oh, thanks that you came, but I don't need... Uh, Forgiveness right now, I've never committed adultery. The most tragic thing you can say. And they sit with broken hearts and they never get forgiven. Because when he comes, he says, I didn't do it. And he passes him by to the man who also didn't do it or maybe did. And he says, Lord, maybe I haven't committed adultery. But if I am honest and I look inside my heart, here's something here that scares me. Come wash me off it. Can you see the difference? So this man, maybe he's never committed adultery, still needs forgiveness because it's in there. And maybe he's a man who did commit adultery and he's saying, Lord, forgive me. Who goes ahead? <laughs> Repentant heart. Christ is pushing beyond. You see, you can hide your sin to the 26 elders at the gate. We can build a church where everyone's like, I live a good life, you know, I don't smoke or drink or, you know, sleep around. But when it comes to worship, there's not one heart that connects to Christ. I don't want a church like that. Send me back to Cape Town. I'd rather have a broken church. Just, Lord, this heart. If I look beyond, I'm, I'm afraid of what I'm seeing here. Boom, Christ is in there. That's what he's doing with his guys. He's saying, I want the real thing. Let's go beyond. Look at what he says. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Where do you throw it? <laughs> recycle, green, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, for it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better to lose one of your members than that of your whole body. Jesus is using hyperboles, and everyone there knows it. A hyperbole means to say something in an extreme sense to bring across a point. Because here's the thing. Let's say... For example, I am an adulterer. My heart is taken by the enemy. I'm in great spiritual distress. Will it help taking my eye out? What will that help? Will it help? Cut, I mean, you can, you can cut off my hands, my feet. Here's the thing. It starts in the heart. It starts in the heart. And what he's saying is, whatever measure you need to take 
to deal with this thing that's getting to your heart, take it. Cut off the electricity. Whatever you have to do to make sure, cancel the Wi-Fi. Get a buddy from church to come and sleep over in your living room. You know, whatever you have to do, cut it off. He wants your heart. And so it's interesting how we think. I've got a friend, bought a house, and uh, he's, he's like safety crazy. Okay, so it's trelly doors everywhere. I mean, it looks, it, once you're in, you can't get out probably. I mean, it is incredible. And we fortify our natural houses with such excellence. And when it comes to our hearts, it's open. We allow our thoughts to go down avenues. It does not belong. And so we're sitting in the house with all the trelly doors. And in the meanwhile, the enemy is hitting us from the inside. Isn't that incredible? He's saying, I want to work on your heart. Now, listen up. It looks like the bar is set too high that no human can achieve it. And that's the point. Because you can't. I'll get to that in a second. This verse, by the way, in the office we spoke about it this week, is the opposite than what a lot of biblical teachers today explained to be the biggest sin in the church today, which is spiritual laziness. I just don't care. It's called antinomianism. I don't care. And they, when there's a group of Pharisees that says, we just don't care, Christ is speaking to his disciples. He says, guys, get it out, cut it off. Don't, don't take that spirit on. Ever be working on your heart. Ever be pressing forward. Ever asking me for forgiveness. Never stop pushing forward. Never say you don't care. That's what he's saying here. Press forward. Now, here's the difficult question. And you guys probably forgot about it. It was in the beginning. We're going to answer this difficult question with our three points to land the heart of tonight. Um, slide 14. Jesus says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what we are seeing is where they speak about murder, Christ takes it deeper. Are you with me? When they spoke about adultery, he takes it deeper. So he's by no means fighting against the law. He's just turning our hearts into what the law is meant to be. He's taking us deeper. For I tell you, unless your righteousness or outflow of faith exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, let me tell you what. Those guys got some rules. There's the Ten Commandments. They've added 600 rules trying to create a way a man should live, an external way, unfortunately. So how... Can our righteousness exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees so that we may enter the kingdom of heaven? That's the question. If they've got all these rules and some of them live by them and they've got such a high standard, they live to all these rules and ours must exceed it, how do we do it? 
that's an important question. Should we make 800 rules? They've got 600, we've got 800, now we're exceeding them. What is the point here? And that's the main thing for tonight. Three thoughts, very important. How should the righteousness of a true disciple exceed those of a Pharisee? Looking back on what Jesus just taught, because this scripture runs into one another. He says this, and then he talks about these commandments, and a few more, which each one he takes deeper. Okay? Number one, it is a deeper righteousness because it is heart worship and not just superficial. They say murder, I say anger because it's in the heart. They say adultery, I say last thought. Before we get to what people are doing, what Christ is saying, heart worship will always exceed external acts. It is deeper and it is even more real than people acting on a stage. Remember last week? Jesus is eating brunch at the Pharisee's place after morning church in a, in a temple. In comes a sinner. The Pharisees have got a lot of rules they live by. In comes a prostitute, turns her heart to Christ. Okay? What happens? Heart worship. He says, look at this woman. She's the one he uplifts. Heart worship will always exceed just doing stuff on the outside. That's the first way that your faith should exceed that of the Pharisees or those who religiously do things. You see, if you think like these men, like the Pharisees, and, and it's, it's in all of us, okay? We're using these extremes, but there's a part of me as well. It's the, the sin is in all of us. When you come to church, you've done what you should do on Sunday. Ah, now they can see I'm here, I'm here. You can sit and check out. But if you're a heart worshiper and you come to church, it's only the start. Because once you start to sing, you remember what's in your heart and now you must deal with it. You see, arriving at church is the goal for the Pharisee. What happens in church is what's important for the heart worshiper. I'm turning my heart back to him. I'm saying, sorry, Lord, I'm holding a grudge against that person because you're not holding a grudge against me. I release them. Here's my gift. Can you see the difference? He's after your heart. He's after your heart. Number two, heart worship will eventually produce more fruit, external fruit, more consistent. It, may, it might take time. It may be a while before you get it right. And, but let me tell you what, heart worship at the end will produce a harvest of love towards God. It might take some time. The Pharisees might, or the religious gang, which sometimes I'm a part of, just follow me, might go to the store and buy grapes and say, listen, I've got grapes, I've got grapes. That's, that's awesome. 
But the disciple might need to plant a vineyard in his backyard. And it might take time for it to come up. But it's there. It's going to learn to face storms and rains. And there will be a harvest in that backyard. A true harvest. And it's almost like heart worship is like that vineyard you're planting in your life. It might take some time, but once it comes, it will stand. And so not only will your righteousness or your word exceeds those of the Pharisee because it's deeper, in the long run, there will be more outward fruit than the man that's acting because he'll fall away at some stage. There's two homes built. The one is built on a rock, one is built on the sand. One in the sand might appear to be high. Storm, rain, flood, gone. House on the rock, storm, rain, flood, stand. Heart worshippers will stand. Amen. God did not come to see robots on earth. It's coming for your heart. Loves you dearly. Last one. Very important. As we realize our broken righteousness, works of faith, and repent, it is His righteousness that becomes ours. Very important. Even with heart worship, even in bringing your heart to God honestly, as you grow, you will realize in fact, the more you love him and the closer you come to him with your heart, the more you realize how far away you are. Isn't that true? This morning in my house, it was chaos. It's, I've got my son running and shouting and crying and waking up my daughter. And I'm like, oh, Lord, the way I feel right now is not Christian-like. Okay? And I know it because the closer I come to Christ, especially if you have to preach, you realize that your heart is there. You want it to be there. When we realize how short we fall, bow your knee, your head in prayer. There's one that came. He never faltered. And his righteousness gets imputed to you. It comes upon you. If you say, sorry, it's what the scripture says. It's not on there, but you can follow me. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. But the heart must invite. So when He comes to the Pharisees, He says, no, sorry, I didn't commit adultery. You can pass me by. Yet the other man, just with a little bit of a heart, a lot of sin, all little sin, he's broken, Lord, my heart. And he says, boom, my righteousness is yours. This is where we need to live, guys. You receive that kind of forgiveness from Jesus, you'll forgive your friends easily because you receive. On that last point, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. That word for, for many, means it's a Greek word anti, which means in place of. I want to tell you a story and then we're going we're to pray and respond. 
1982, I think, there was a man, A.D. Williams. Does it ring a bell? A.D. Williams. There's an airport named after him. What happens is a flight was leaving Washington, D.C., but it was very cold, and they suspect that some of the mechanical parts of the plane got frozen. And so what happened is the plane went, took off, but could not get up, okay? And it smashed into a bridge into the icy river. Rings a bell, someone? What happens is the plane goes down, head first, tail up, right? Helicopter comes, see a bunch of people bunching at the tail. I don't know if they've got a, if they maybe had an emergency door open, but they r recognize a guy that, looks to be kind of in control. He na his name is his A.D. Williams, okay, now the name of the airport. So they lower the ladder. They're like, maybe he's the only survivor. They're not sure. He's visible. He's waving. Ladder comes down. They pull a ladder up. What, what happened? It was not him on the ladder. Put someone on the ladder up. They're like, okay, ladder down. Next person, it's not him. Ladder down, third person, it's not him. In his place, every time, someone else. Four, not him. Five, not him. Six, not him. Seventh ladder, empty. He died in the water. In the place. No, he's not Christ, but he illustrates the heart. You see, we have a Savior that when it comes to our heart, have come to die in our place, send us up the ladder. Father, why have you forsaken me? And so the Pharisees, they're trying to obey a master. He wants me to do all these things and they're upholding all these laws. Whereas the disciple does not only have a master, he has a savior. In my place, he has my heart. The depth of it, the thoughts, the unctions, it now belongs to you. Grateful that you send me up the ladder. He's coming for your heart, not your works, not your wallet. Amen? Let's stand tonight.